0: hello hi welcome to truly fabulously monstrous
1: a podcast about true crime and weird stuff
0: i am half of your host hattie james
1: i am your other half of your host ace hi ace hi hattie how are you i'm good how are you
0: (laughs) oh i'm great you know just procrastinated editing the episode realized there's a severe audio error consistent throughout the entire episode need to re-record the episode
1: Oh, uh, I, ne- I hope the next episode's okay
0: <laughs> if it's not we will just re-record it at nine at night cool.
1: well you'll have to remind me which one it is so i open the right notes <laughs> for
0: that talk about crinkling and i just opened a brownie because i decided right before i tell a weird story is the perfect time to eat i just had my uh my docs cycling and my stomach hurt so i'm right. trying to yeah. much much crunch <laughs> i'm a bit upset because we like from what i could tell we had a really good conversation you were talking about like libraries and bookstores and stuff like that and then um oh, it's, all that's unfortunate
1: because I, I have no memory of
0: <laughs> yeah well what i did was i um when I realized there was a crinkling I went gee I hope this doesn't happen through the whole thing and so I skipped ahead two minutes <laughs> and you were talking you went talking about oh i I when I'm in the area I have to stop at the bookstore oh yeah crinkle 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 I'm like okay skip five minutes okay should we get to another crinkle 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah um so let's just get into it
1: let's get let's into just, it get tell into me it. a weird thing
0: I'm gonna tell you a weird thing and these are the exact same half-assed notes I had last time (laughs) uh, which is I think a perfect setting for this half-assed episode where I procrastinated editing it just like I procrastinated doing these notes so again (laughs) I'm just gonna read you these notes let's pretend it's three weeks ago shall we just let's do it let's do it okay so this has been a week and a half for me. And by this, I am talking about three weeks ago when I, when we recorded this. Right. So it had been a week and a half for me. Uh, just a lot going on in my personal life and at work. So the notes were already haphazardly taken down on a stenopad, like in the olden days of the episodes. <laughs> then I went to grab them that night to transcribe them, but couldn't find them. I'm noticing a theme of Hattie doesn't have her shit together. I, oh, yeah, and I put, oh, on top of that, my mom brain made it so I could not remember the notes I took Thursday when I picked up and researched my topic.
1: I will say <laughs> this, at least it's only 9.15 and it's not like midnight. Because sometimes I get messages from you, like, or I will say, I will wake up to messages from you that you sent at like midnight, 1.15. You're like, here's some clips from the episode.
0: And I'm like, I was sleeping. What? no I don't stay up that late I'll stay up till 10 and then I'll wake up at three in the morning to finish
1: (laughs) oh that's better
0: (laughs) at least I'm on brand I'm consistent I am consistently a train wreck with this podcast from start to finish from note taking to editing it's just all a mess you are well put together you're like here are my notes perfectly typed up that I researched at a library and I'm like I googled some shit on my lunch break. Here you go. Do you want to know
1: why that is? It's because I live alone. I'm not married and I don't have kids. You, know you are a very busy mom with a career and a doing a lots of things that are arguably more important than this podcast. My cats are fighting behind me. I don't know if you can hear that.
0: I can hear that.
1: <laughs> Sir and madam. Anyway, my point was that I always have my notes typed up. It's because I literally have nothing better to do with my time than be like, I guess I'll just start Googling shit. And then two hours later, I'm like, oh,
0: I've Googled a lot of shit. I'm going to deviate from my notes a bit. And I'm going to do a new introduction to this. All right. As you could tell from the first part of the notes, I perfectly scripted as my excuse. <laughs> Paired with the fact that it is 9.18 p.m., the night before the episode is supposed to upload and we are re-uploading it cuz I procrastinated. I have a couple of things that are just uniquely on brand for me. We've discussed some of them. The first one is I am a hot fucking mess. You <laughs> may say it's because I am a working woman with a child. I may say it's because I am a mess, but I'm a mess who procrastinates. I have super brains. I have mom for brains, and I am also a walking encyclopedia for everything that is fucking weird about Vermont.
1: <laughs> so
0: in the theme of staying on brand for this train wreck of an episode, I'm going to tell you a weird-ass thing in Vermont. This isn't a crypt, It's not a cryptid. It's not a ghost story. It is an actual, like, legend lore okay. that derives from the 1800s. Really the only source is a story from an anthology book called Mischief in the Mountains, Strange Tales of Vermont and Vermonters. <laughs> and it was published by Vermont Life Magazine in 1970. Uh, it's it's a go-to book for me. So every time I walk into a library, any new library, I move to a town, I get a library card, I walk up to the circ desk. By the way, everyone I've ever been lived in, every library residing in a town that I've ever resided in has never had like a separate like reference section circ desk they've had just one desk ah. that that small so I walk up to the librarian and I look him in the eye and I say I need three books and that's it <laughs> I need Joseph A. Citro's Ghost Schools and Unsolved Mysteries I need Joseph A. Citro's Green Mountain Dark Tales and I need Mischief in the Mountains Strange Tales of Vermont and Vermonters published by Vermont Life Magazine in 1970 And they always say, I got you. And they point me directly to where they are because I live in Vermont and a fucking course they have those. It's a vast source of information on just plain weird shit. I say vast source. There's like 10 anthologies in it. And that's actually where I learned about Chester Bennington, the gentleman burglar Mm. that I talked about back in season one. And it's also where I learned about Vermont's frozen folks, which is Mm. what I'm going to be talking about today.
1: Cool intriguing tell me more
0: so mischief in the mountains as i said is an anthology of different stories of just weird shit in vermont and each story is written by a different person wesley s griswold wrote the story on the frozen folk it was based on a front page article from the town of montpelier's newspaper of the time called the argus and patriot now this particular article was published december 21st 1887 i will say that people who have tried to fact check this story have found archived copies of this article. So Griswold is not blowing smoke up all of our asses and saying Mm -hmm. this paper from, uh, at the time it was like this paper from 80 years ago, this totally happened. It actually was published. Okay. In the, the main newspaper of the state capital, Montpelier, on December 21st, 1887. The source of this article was supposedly taken from the writer of the article who went by A. Morse. It was apparently A. Morse. Okay, so this is where it gets a little fucked up. The anthology starts by essentially copy and pasting this article. And this article is essentially a copy and paste of A. Morse's Uncle's Diary. So it's a copy of a copy of a copy.
1: I will say one thing about newspapers in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Not A, lo- a not a lot of fact-checking happening, and B, there were, and I'm just basing this off of, like, my local papers going back to the 1800s, there was a lot of traveling salesmen came into the town today. And oh, they, they said they brought tales from a town in the nearby town of a person who did a thing. Alright, and then they left.
0: Bye! Speaking of that, To further hedge your point, so as I told you, I have been volunteering at an institution. And at this institution right now, we're going through the archives, and we are taking newspapers that were donated to these archives that were not properly handled and maintained. So basically, I'm given all of these newspapers, and I'm told we we cannot save them. They're falling apart but here's topics that we know there's an article in these newspapers and that's the only reason we have them. I need you to find the article, cut it out, write the date on the back. We are going to tape it to paper, write the date very nicely or a label maker, put the date and which newspaper it came from on that piece of paper and we're going to photocopy it. And then we have a copy and then it's okay that we have to throw these out. We're not losing the history. Okay. Well, I said, well, what are you doing with the other articles? And they're like, We don't care because they only save them for this one specific topic. So because of that, I said, if you're throwing them out, can I steal some? And they're like, I don't care. Go ahead. One of them is from a July 1890 newspaper, and it is the entire section on Vermont News. Allow me to read it to you. Vermont News, one Talbot was killed by logs at Island Pond recently. J. O. Johnson of Norwich is putting works suitable for manufacture of sorghum syrup. Hay was sold at Woodstock last week at $18 to $19 per ton, but the market is heavy and slow at these rates. That's it. That's the news.
1: That's the news. Yep.
0: Yeah. But we'll get more into the story and the believability and the credence of it and the and stuff like that afterwards. Let's move on for now. Uh so basically, according to the legend and the sources, uh, the writer of the original 1887 article took his uncle Williams diary entry and just published it in this paper. And then 83 years later, Wesley S. Griswold copied and pasted the article into his contribution to this Vermont anthology. That is the source material. As I said, it is a copy of a copy of an original.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to tell you right now the sources I used. I used my noggin. I have read this story from Mischief in the Mountains. I don't have a copy with me. So the articles I used to like jog my memory were a listicle by Only in Your State as well as another listicle by The Vermonter and another listicle by Ranker. So those are just, if you Google the Vermont Frozen Folk, those three articles, websites will come up and- Those are my sources. I didn't write them down. I am a train wreck. We have established this. Let's get into it. Sometime in the 1800s in Vermont, 20 miles from Montpelier, we're in a very, very rural, very isolated, very mountainous area. See, Montpelier is the main town. And yes, we have railroads, but the state capital of Vermont in the 1800s, it's even now... Montpelier is currently the only city in the United States that doesn't have a McDonald's. I want you oh, listeners- Oh, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, I, I want you <laughs> listeners to let that sink in to realize how rural this is in the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, and now think about it, a hundred, almost 200 years ago. The, the story was published in 1887. I doubt it was from 1887. More than likely, if it was an adult man's uncle's diary, it was probably from 50 years earlier. I'm actually going to get into what years it can be because I did. I am a nerd, and I did search that. I'm going to explain the the chronology now of events from William Morris's point of view. We'll call him Farmer Morris from now on, since the story is called "The Frozen Folk: A Farmer Morris." It only seems fitting to call him Farmer Morris. Plus, it gives it a little bit of like that little eclectic little yeah. spice. <laughs> so, <laughs> January 7th, Farmer Morse met up with a family who dwelled in a domicile somewhere on the mountain. They were isolated, probably poor, and they were having difficulty supporting their family through the winter. There were a number of able-bodied family members and six other people, four men and two women. One of the men was very, very clearly disabled, did not specify how. This was the 1800s. I don't think they had specifications then. (laughs) He looked like he was about in his 30s. The other five were, and I quote, this is not my words, this is Farmer Morris's words, past the age of usefulness.
1: So they were 30.
0: The six people, the the one 30-year-old and the five really uselessly aged, I guess, people, were laying on the floor, very clearly drugged, and the family members around them seemed very indifferent to their condition. Eventually, one of the older guys in the non-drugged group checked on the drugged group and said, They're ready, at which point the six drugged people were stripped down to just their undergarments, carried outside, and set on logs. By this point, it was nighttime and there was apparently a full moon. All right, so this is where um, Nerd Sarah did come out. I did look up the lunar calendar for all the years between 1800 and 1887. Don't at me. I wanted to narrow down what year this happened. I was very curious. (laughs) So January 7th, it was clearly a full moon. What years between 1800 and 1887 had full moons? We have 1803, 1822, 1841, and 1852. Okay. So we're looking at one of those years. My best guess, if this was his uncle, it was probably 1841 or 1852. Because that's about 30 to 50 years before this story took place.
1: All right. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. So apparently the family and Farmer Morris just stood around watching these six unconscious drugs and exposed to the bitterest cold you can possibly imagine on a January night in the mountains of Vermont. And eventually the family members just went inside, but Farmer Morris was compelled to just stand there and stare at these lifeless bodies. (laughs) Is anyone going to talk about this? We're going to talk about this? Hello? (laughs) Hello? Yeah, and then he noticed that their noses, their ears, their fingers, all of all, all their little appendages uh, just started turning white before the limbs and face oh. started turning white. And I quote, assumed, assumed a tallowed look.
1: Oh, that's first early stages of frostbite.
0: Yeah. At this point, Farmer Morris couldn't stand the cold himself fully dressed, not naked and drugged. (laughs) So he decided to go inside.
1: It's a bit chilly. I think I'll head in.
0: Where the conversation was, and I quote, cheerful. An hour later, he went out to check on the bodies, which were rapidly freezing. He ended up being stuck at this place for the night. I'm not sure if this was a, he was like caught out past dark, looking for shelter, found this house, found this family doing this thing, or if he was planning on staying with this family, went there and it just happened to be the night that they were doing this weird ass thing of like throwing their disabled and elderly people out in the cold. But he ended up spending the night, whether it was planned or unplanned. But the next day, these bodies were piled into wooden boxes. The boxes then filled with straw to protect them from predators. One of the women told Farmer Morse, We shall want them to plant our corn next spring, and if you want to see them resuscitated, you come here about the 10th of next May. Then our story skips four months, and now we're at May 10th. Farmer Morris went back to the family on the mountain and found them fast at work. There was still snow on the mountain, and the snow had buried the six boxes of people. Okay. The men of the family were shoveling out the boxes of people. And once the boxes were visible, the covers were taken off, the straw was removed, and in the box were the frozen but apparently perfectly preserved bodies of these six people.
1: That I can get behind, actually. I mean,
0: the cold. cold,
1: I mean, they're, the, the bodies on Mount Everest are more or less almost perfect condition because yeah. of the cold. So that I can get behind, yeah.
0: Once the bodies were then exposed, you know, straw taken off. Oh, look, there's grandpappy and grandmommy and Doug. I don't know their names.
1: (laughs) Uh, Doug. Everyone's favorite family member, Doug.
0: (laughs) Well, after this, they were taken out of the box. They were taken out of their little boxes. They were placed still naked directly on the snow while the family got to work bringing out six troughs made of hemlock. It's very important that the troughs were made of hemlock. And then they filled these with tepid water and then <laughs> put one body in each trough, making sure their head was up as if they were taking a nice little soaked bath. It's,
1: it's real important it's made of hemlock. Why? So they can kill Socrates later? Like,
0: what? <laughs> so, so once they made sure that these people were in the tepid water baths in the hemlock troughs, their heads elevated so that... that you know, they wouldn't drown. These frozen bodies wouldn't drown. Because so that makes logical sense. Uh,
1: it's, I'm thinking of that episode of Avatar Last Airbender where uh, Sokka and Katara are sick, so Aang has to find them the frozen frogs. for them to suck on and the frogs are like in a frozen pond but like all their little snoots are poking up out of the water and that's based on actual frogs we'll do that like that's how some frogs survive the winter they kind of like go into like low hibernation mode and like we'll just kind of get frozen in these ponds with their little snouts sticking above the water so they can breathe hello here's my nose above the ice
0: well these aren't frogs these are human beings these
1: are human beings right okay Um, sorry sorry human beings in their (laughs) temlock tubs
0: all right. So once they're in their hemlock tubs with their heads, not their snoots, their heads sticking out, they take, uh, I think it said copper kettles, and they filled them with boiling water, which they steeped hemlock bows in to make a hemlock tea. A lot of hemlock in this story.
1: So you can kill Socrates later.
0: I guess. So then they steeped the hemlock bows in this boiling water until it was, and I quote again as red as wine and then they poured said boiling hemlock soup into the troughs to make human hemlock soup good
1: soup good soup,
0: good soup. Good soup. <laughs> i guess farmer morse like stuck his hand in it to see how warm it was because he then said the water that the, the hemlock tea was poured into it until it was as hot as i could hold my hand in So an hour into this, the family like was rubbing and chafing the bodies to try to like promote circulation, just like rubbing the bodies. And they did this for about an hour. So an hour after steeping, they like just vigorously were rubbing down these bodies for another hour until the body started to twitch. And then they started gasping for air. Yeah. And then they started gasping for air. And then the color started fully returning to the bodies. And the six now unfrozen people were given some spirits to restore vitality because, you know, it's the 1800s. Why not give them straight up fucking booze? (laughs) Mountain moonshine.
1: You have ghosts in your blood. Do cocaine about it. Yeah.
0: So these now reanimated corpses, essentially, are given liquor. And then when they all opened their eyes, sat up and began talking, they were led inside. Given like warm clothes, a hearty dinner. And when Farmer Morse went in, just, you know, okay, it's time to go in, I guess. They were all refreshed, renewed, uninjured, as if they had just woken up from a very relaxing sleep, rather than being drugged and frozen for four months. That's essentially the story. I'm gonna go into a little bit about it now. So the author of the 1970 retelling debunks the story after verifying the validity no. <laughs> Yeah, after verifying the validity of the original 1887 newspaper article that yes, this was posted in the Argus and Patriot on December 21st, 1887. I'm not going to insult you nor our lovely listeners intelligence by explaining why scientifically there is no base to say that this would work. However, this story still persists. It is a rural legend of Vermont. It is part of Vermont's lore. A more certainly must have thought that either it was true or that people would believe him why else would he ruin his reputation to post it with his actual name so why has the story prevailed so long that it's been published in an anthology about the vermont's bazaar
1: did those papers i'm just once again thinking of my own local papers sometimes had sections for You know how there are authors like Charles Dickens, like Arthur Conan Doyle, who, when they were publishing their stories, their stories were being published serially in magazines and stuff. Uh, There were some papers, at least where I am, that would have like short story sections in them, basically. But there was never really anything in the headline that said it was a short story. But like when you read it, you're like, oh, this is a serial like, continuation of something that was written last week, and this is a fictional short story.
0: They might have, but this was on the front page. Uh
1: Aha. This was the news
0: story of the day. All right, okay. So my- I got something there. (laughs) Well, my personal theory on it is that it tells a story of a struggling family who successfully found a solution to a very serious problem that Vermonters faced in the days before modern infrastructure. So supermarkets, heaters, and other things that we in 2020 take for granted did not exist back then. As we've discussed in the past on the show, Vermont winters suck. The temperature in the mountains gets well below zero, and that's not even counting the wind chills, which can make it seem like it's negative 50 degrees out. There are times when you wake up, you put on the news, and Gary Sadowski or Shell Meyer, if you listen to... Uh, WCX or if you listen watch WPTZ Tom Messner or Tyler Jankowski one of them will say don't be outside for more than three minutes or you will get frostbite because mm-hmm. that's how cold it can get here and we have heaters in our houses and warm cars to get into when we need to travel they didn't have that back then you know on top of that in the 1800s, Vermonters had to grow and store their own food. They had blankets and wood stoves to keep them warm, and if the snow got deep enough, they could become trapped in their houses for months on end. Back in the even back in the 1920s, if you were sick in Vermont, if it, if there was a snowstorm, no doctor was getting to you up in the mountains right. of Montpelier. No pharmacist was delivering your meds in the mountains of Montpelier. Maybe yeah, if it you like lived a, in the town of sucks Montpelier, that sucks-to-sucks
1: situation.
0: yeah Yeah. and if you were a poor farmer and had a bad year and could not save and preserve enough food getting through the winter would be damn near impossible there were no supermarkets and even if there were like you know the corner stores and stuff like that if there was a blizzard you were stuck in your home Mm -hmm. so and you had not you had to cut down your own wood for heat and if you couldn't get into town to buy coal and you couldn't like get out like you were elderly and you couldn't get any heat like so many people must have died. I, don't, I didn't look up the death records. I didn't want to depress myself. So The Frozen Folk isn't a story of an 1800s family that magically cryogenically freezes their family members and then reanimates their corpses. This isn't a sci-fi story. What this is, it's a story that tells in the background the struggles of a poor rural Vermont family living in the Green Mountains and the too-good-to-be-true solution that they found to prevent food scarcity and winter deaths at a time when these were really, really scary and very, very real issues. It's continued to survive because it was a story that was based on a real problem. The antagonist of the story isn't the family for freezing their sick and elderly members. The antagonist isn't Farmer Morse for watching these members get frozen and do nothing. Surface level, it doesn't seem like there's an antagonist. It seems like someone's just telling a story. Like, uh, this is what happened. But in the background, the antagonist is the environmental and socioeconomic issues faced in rural Vermont in the 1800s. This is very much is a man versus nature, but with this story, for once, man wins. And yeah, so that's uh, the never verified nor explained legend of the frozen folks of Farmer Morse. Nice. Yeah. I love, da-da, da-da, da. Da. I
1: love the implication that, like, Farmer Morris, they're like... Because Farmer Morris, he was the one that found this family doing this thing. Yeah. yeah. I just love that title implies that, like, he was the one doing the, the freezing. And the, it's like, Farmer Morris was freezing these people. Like, no, he was, no. No, no, no. Yeah. Farmer Morris would be like, um, we gotta talk about what I just... What? No? Okay. <laughs>
0: And it's funny because the story literally is like, oh yeah, I found these people and they were freezing their family members. And they told me if I want to see them resuscitated to come back May 10th. Well, I came back May 10th and son of a gun, they survived. <laughs> <laughs> Very matter of fact. And boy, howdy, were they right. Yeah.
1: So that's a I that's the kind of like weird folklore that I'm, I'm down with. That's weird, unverified. Love it. With-
0: a hidden moral yes that
1: that moral is vermont winters suck the
0: the that moral is don't take the infrastructure that we currently have yeah. for granted i love
1: morals like that that's like the morals of german cautionary tales where it's like here's the moral don't be a shitty child
0: eat your soup eat your <laughs> soup Eat your soup Gunther. there <laughs> <laughs> do not play
1: with matches, Katrina. What will happen if I play with matches, Musa? Ah, you will burn to death. Alright, good and not my leap shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's tell people where they can find us.
0: Oh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, sweet nothings you want to whisper in our ear, we'll ignore those ones, but stories you want to tell us <laughs> or have a share, we won't ignore those ones. You may do so by emailing us at truly fabulously monstrous at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at truly fabulously monstrous. And if
1: you want to find us on Twitter, we are on Twitter at TFABMonsterPod.
0: Okay, so join us next time when Ace tells a crime. A, a crime. crime. A crime. We'll be there. We hope you will too. Bye. Bye.